policy beyond politics podcast series by center for public policy research kochi center for public policy research or cppr is a public policy think tank located in kochi we engage in diverse fields like urban reform livelihood education health governance law and international relations and security our podcast series covers a host of issues of current and contemporary relevance in the public policy domain Previous episodes of our podcast series can be found on our website www.cppr.in. I am Sharon Susan Koshi, research associate at CPPR. In this episode, we will explore the tussle between sustainability initiatives and development in the context of G20. For this discussion, we have with us Mr. Govinda Agarwal and Dr. Janshri Jairam. Manager with PwC and alumnus of IIT Madras, Mr. Agarwal has more than six years of experience in circular economy, sustainability, and government advisory. Dr. Janshri Jairam is assistant professor at Department of Geopolitics and International Relations and co-coordinator of Center for Climate Studies, Manipal Academy of Higher Education, Karnataka. Hi, Govinda and Danshri. Welcome to Policy Beyond Politics. Thank you. Hi, Sharon. Thank you so much. As we all must have known by now, in 2023, India will take over the presidency of the G20 and the priority areas set for the agenda are sustainable energy transition, global health architecture, and digital transformation. India is committed to the UN SDGs 2030 agenda and implementing a sustainable transition in its fast-growing economy and burgeoning population. The latest climate threats challenge the country's major economic sectors of agriculture, its long war against poverty, food, and clean water supply, as well as accessibility to primary health services. The G20 Agenda for 2023 proposed by India calls on the international community to cooperate on climate and sustainability issues. Climate and sustainability need to be integrated in our economic and social policies because of the latest challenges posed by climate change. The environmental crisis affects every aspect of the global economy and societal scheme. Climate catastrophes, resource shortages, and climate change give rise to a chain mechanism which affects food, water, and energy security and all the people involved in it. Indeed, sustainability integrates social policies with the economic ones to assure that the global population has equal rights to health, employment, education, food, and water. Now let's dive into the discussion. My first question is addressed to Mr. Govinda. As an emerging economy, sustainable utilization of resources are pertinent in the long run. India's commitment to the Global Development Agenda and SDG 2030 speaks volumes of our efforts in this direction as well. How are we advantageously shifting the narrative of balancing economic development and sustainability through our uh, domestic initiatives? Yeah. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Dhanashree. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, as we all know that India is one of the member states and has been a signatory to the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals. Um, and being the fifth largest economy in the world, it is very imperative that India is at the forefront to achieving this because a lot of gaps might be left if India is unable to do that. 
uh, with respect to the economic development and sustainability through our domestic initiatives, one of the flagship missions of uh, the Indian government, the Swachh Bharat mission, has been vocal about uh, reuse and recyclability, which are pioneers in sustainability. We There is uh, a sustainable development goal around clean water and sanitation, and uh, the flagship missions uh, such as uh, Amrut, Jaljeevan mission, which are catering towards a full uh, complete coverage of uh, water supply to um, all the households in India and also developing sustainable models to cater to this demand, huge demand in India are examples of how we are balancing economic development and sustainability. Uh, we are also introducing wastewater reuse. There is, uh, there are talks about energy efficiency as one of the major objectives in these kind of development missions are uh, pillars of uh, this sustainability goal that we are envisaging to achieve. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your input, Govinda. That uh, leads me to uh, talking perhaps a little bit more on uh, climate change and India's efforts uh, in the international milieu. Uh, the next question is addressed to Dr. Danshri with particular reference to climate change and the need for sustainable use of resources, India's efforts have been lauded internationally. However, given the challenges posed by the pandemic, where are we at currently in realizing our climate sustainability goals? Thank you, uh, Sharon, for that question. Um, and as uh, Govinda already mentioned about uh, India's commitment to fulfill the Sustainable Development Goals 2030 uh, and also India's commitment on a larger level, uh, as far as climate goals are concerned, India also updated its uh, nationally determined contributions recently and submitted it to the UNFCCC. Uh, and there is clear uh, intention as far as uh, as far as climate goals are concerned, especially in terms of decoupling economic growth from greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so, of course, at the Glasgow summit, when uh, Prime Minister Modi uh, announced a certain targets, some of it obviously has been uh, uh, has been watered down to some extent uh, because of pragmatic reasons. Um, and also at the same time, India's commitment to fulfill its renewable energy targets, uh, also reducing carbon intensity, um, uh, increasing forest cover, which will also add to India's uh, carbon sink. Um, and also, of course, uh, in, in the end, with this long-term goal of achieving net zero target by 2070, uh, so all these goals uh, kind of point towards very much India's agenda as far as decoupling uh, economic growth and development from emissions uh, is concerned. Uh, and India's commitment is also something that is being proven with some track record of initiating intergovernmental processes, including setting up organizations such as the International Solar Alliance, the Coalition for Disaster Resilient Infrastructure, and also talking about uh, various ways in which uh, India can be a part of the solution and contribute to international multilateral partnerships on climate change, uh, which is, I think, something that has uh, taken off uh, on a huge scale, particularly uh, since the Copenhagen summit back in 2009. Uh, now, coming to the question of what are the major crises uh, that we are facing today, and the pandemic is just one among several crises. Uh, that is going to hamper India's own uh, ambitions in that sense. And it's happening, hampering many countries' uh, uh, climate goals. Uh, the the Russia-Ukraine uh, crisis is one of them, and how this has also affected the supply chains and 
um, and also uh, China's uh, zero COVID policy, which has also scuttled the supply chains in a massive way. So all these different uh, dynamics are also affecting uh, India's own climate goals uh, in that sense. So, um, so it, it is going to take a massive effort from the entire world and particularly from India uh, when it comes to achieving India's own domestic uh, targets and uh, achieving them with the flagship schemes and other uh, programs that Govinda also mentioned, that all these different uh, programs and schemes and initiatives are going to require a lot of climate finance, which, uh, as we all know, does not uh, be much momentum in terms of uh, uh, mobilizing climate finance from the developed countries and there are plenty of broken promises that we have to also look into. India has also demanded a financing facility for the loss and damage, which is something that the developed countries, the industrialized countries have uh, been resisting and continue to resist in, uh, for that matter. So there are a lot of these factors which would uh, come in the way of uh, India's own uh, climate and sustainability goals. And uh, on several fronts, India may be doing well in terms of achieving these goals. On several other fronts, uh, particularly because of the lack of resources. And also, we have to remember that the climate is still changing, right? So, um, with more and more uh, disasters and extreme weather events, and as the temperatures rise further and heat waves and the kind of uh, flooding and everything that we have seen re in recent times in India, uh, we have to remember that our own developmental uh, uh, gains are being eroded with all these uh, all these uh, massive uh, kind of disruptions, ecological disruptions. So in effect, uh, we have to deal with multiple issues at the same time today. It's not enough to just look at renewable energy or transportation or other sectors like agriculture. We have to look at it in a more holistic way. Thank you, Dhanshri, for capturing that in a nutshell and talking about how India, uh, India's goals internationally have uh, several challenges domestically as well, uh, especially in the context of climate change. Now, coming back to a question, uh, a point that Govinda was talking about earlier uh, with regards to circular economy, recycling and refurbishing have been uh, buzzwords used in the sustainability context, often in India and across the globe. Now, what policy changes have different uh, ties of governments in India undertaken in transitioning towards a circular economy? Certainly. So, um, circular economy is the new buzzword. I mean, um, uh, it's uh, basically gaining so much importance and it is very necessary that we uh, become a circular economy or we move towards localization because otherwise this whole uh, huge uh, what do you say the entire gamut of uh, problems that we have with respect to waste segregation and treatment and disposal will be magnanimous if we don't do that i mean the numbers themselves say this that uh, from 1970 till 2015 we have seen an increase of 1.18 billion to 7 billion tons of uh, waste and it is further to rise by around uh, 7 billion to 14.2 billion by the year 2030. So circular economy is something that we have to envisage and uh, uh, the government is pushing for that. Uh, if you look at the uh, objectives of the Swachh Bharat mission, which has been uh, uh, launched by the government of India, um, the circular economy is at the forefront or the main, uh, at the center of the entire uh, thing. 
there are uh, efforts being made towards bio cng there are efforts being made towards reuse and recycling they have launched swat sarvekshan which is a competition between cities to achieve recyclability and uh, refurbishments material recovery facilities have been established are being established as you speak in many cities where uh, 90% of the total waste material will be recovered sold and then reused plastic bans have been uh, uh, have been in place in major of the cities so we are moving towards a circular economy part where uh, a lot of uh, economic benefits will also come back to the cities and to people themselves uh, they are targeting that around uh, 5000 rupees per ton of uh, uh, benefit will come back to the city if they are in utilizing this uh, whole concept of circular economy one major challenge that we have as of now is uh, that this practice is being followed in urban centers but rural india is somewhere where we have to engage people we have to drive that change we have to bring the concepts of circular economy especially in animal waste uh, segments and uh, that will be one of the major uh, focus areas because a lot of our population resides or majority of our population resides in the rural areas and that is where the change has to be uh, brought about but the efforts that are being made in the urban areas are very commendable it's a long way ahead but certainly circular economy is something that the government is pushing for uh, municipal corporations and state governments have started to understand appreciate and uh, implement them uh, with the help of private organizations ngos and uh, a lot of think tanks so this is seeing the light of the day and hopefully circular economy will be uh, useful for us to achieve these sdg goals by 2030 Uh, thank you, Govinda, for uh, talking about how uh, different types of governments, as well as civil society organizations and other stakeholders, work together in perhaps you know nudging a behavioral change towards circular economy in India. Um, now, my next question is addressed to Dr. Danishree. In addition to mustering consensus, uh, global governance depends much on the capacity to mobilize funds. This was something that you were also talking about earlier. G20 has been doing a commendable job here in creating visibility for issues that affect the developing world which are often left undiscussed by richer states now how far do you think our consistent endeavors for sustainability emboldened india's role as a leader in the developing world especially with regards to india taking over the G20 presidency in the coming year yeah uh, that's a very important question as to what role does india play when it comes to uh uh it ties with the, the the rest of the developing world the global south countries uh and whether india can be seen as a leader of the global south and developing countries when it comes to building consensus and also promoting uh, uh climate uh, action in the uh, other uh, developing countries and i think it is already happening to a large extent i mentioned uh, uh, some of the initiatives that india has launched in recent times the international solar alliance and the coalition for disaster resilient infrastructure uh, in particular need to be mentioned here because uh, i feel uh, these are in a way of course a diplomatic victory for india at the same time these these initiatives are mobilizing finance from various international financial institutions uh, um, and you know not really waiting for the developed countries 
to deliver on their promises because i think uh, i think of course this is a moral question an ethical question it's a question of fairness it's a question of uh, years of uh, uh, broken promises that i mentioned earlier as well uh, but in the end uh, action has to take place in the end countries which are most affected by climate change continue to be developing countries and here i would like to probably also mention india's role in south asia itself that needs to be strengthened further because we have seen in recent times uh, the kind of disasters that happened uh, of course the most recent one uh, being in uh, pakistan uh, you know almost one third of the country being flooded um, we've uh, seen similar kind of situations in other parts of south asia we saw severe heat waves uh, uh, in uh, in uh, india pakistan and other parts of south asia as well so i think we need to start uh, from a from a regional perspective we need to start looking at building uh, cooperative and uh, multilateral partnerships uh, through maybe regional and sub regional organizations maybe create new frameworks if uh, regional organizations such as saaf are not working uh, at the same time this uh, this can also be used for instance to see whether international solar alliance can uh, you know can can uh, can invest in solar uh, uh, solar technology and mobilize finances for big projects or uh, rooftop solar technologies or other kinds of decentralized systems which in which india is already playing a a, a role in that sense india is already training uh or engaged in training uh, 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 uh you know training people from different parts of the world it's also involved in un sponsored projects on uh, climate action in many parts of the world including which are related to not just climate change but also broader sustainable development goals uh so this is where of course the g20 has uh, played a big role in bringing uh different countries uh, but mostly emerging economies and not necessarily the entire uh, developing world on board uh, but within the unfccc india needs to play a much stronger role in demanding more from uh, from the developed countries in terms of climate finance recognition of loss and damage financing facility which is very important and i think this should be a bedrock for india's own engagement with the climate change negotiations uh, in consonance with the objectives and interests of the larger developing world uh, and at the same time india also has to keep in mind uh, the fact that uh, we cannot wait for finance to come from the developed world this hasn't happened in fact even uh, recent reports have shown that most of the uh, uh, finance coming from developed world still is in the form of loans instead of grants which itself is a problem more than 70% is still in loans and in fact this is not something that countries in the developing world can sustain at this point in time we have seen what really debt uh, problems uh, do to many countries in the global south which are you know facing severe energy crisis uh, macroeconomic uh, meltdown such as the one that sri lanka is facing today so in that sense we cannot afford to just have loans being uh, given to developing countries uh, it needs to be in the form of grants uh, and there have to be other mechanisms also that can be used to mobilize finances uh, for the for uh, for not just india but for the entire uh, for the entire global south and this is where india is already playing some sort of leadership role and it needs to further advance these uh, 
these uh, efforts in order to make some kind of difference because as i mentioned today uh, we are having all these different crises it's and it's very impossible uh, uh, very difficult i would say to navigate through all these crises and coming out in a way that uh, that we can find solutions to all these problems at the same time because policy processes do not really work in that way so in that sense uh, india has a huge responsibility here regionally and also in terms of its ties with the broader uh, global south community uh, and as well as building partnerships with the g7 countries for instance so because india is now talking about just transition partnerships and just transition is relevant to many countries in the global south uh, that are dependent especially on fossil fuel economies or uh communities that are dependent on the livelihoods that are generated by the fossil fuel industry so in that sense just transitions conversations also is something where india needs to play a bigger role um and already india is talking about uh, building these just transition partnerships with g7 countries and uh, probably uh, you know in line with that we also have india the indian government talking about a cap and trade mechanism within uh, india as well uh, which may not be tied to the international market as such the carbon market but then at least domestically uh, you know creating these kind of mechanisms and what can uh, different countries in the global south learn from each other when it comes to these financing mechanisms technological cooperation uh, financing uh, uh, you know energy transitions so all these questions are very relevant and india can play a much bigger role uh, and has the potential to sort of lead these discussions at the global level particularly uh, at a time when you know there are so many geopolitical uh, crises uh, that are affecting climate cooperation especially as we saw even in uh, you know us and china kind of china suspending climate talks with the us so at this stage india has to sort of step up further and also uh, try and keep that momentum in the climate negotiations on uh, in partnership with the remaining global south countries itself thank you danshri talk for talking about how important financing in climate sustainability discussions are and how uh, the strategies perhaps that india can employ to play a leadership role in ensuring that uh, you know that uh, funds are mobilized with regards to ensuring climate sustainability and uh, how regional cooperation can be leveraged in you know attaining that goal on that note my next question is addressed to mr govinda the conversations surrounding sustainability have to happen in tandem with clean energy transitions in the context of increasing coal imports to the country and a demanding economy that we are what is the state of affairs of clean energy transitions in india right now yeah so um india is a energy dependent country uh, close to 85% of our uh, crude oil is imported and uh, 45% of our energy is made through imports so uh, we have to initiate and uh, look forward to some uh, better clean energy initiatives that will sustain our uh, energy demand government has prepared a roadmap and uh, i mean uh, there are efforts being made towards bio cng uh, compressed natural gas biodiesel ethanol uh, flexi methanol i mean you might have seen uh, government uh, advisories coming around uh, uh, electric cars uh, automated uh, uh, 
like not diesel fossil fuel but methanol fueled uh, engines so uh, government is pushing uh, for this agenda one of the major schemes uh, uh, that they have initiated uh, through ministry of rural new and Re renewable energy and uh, ministry of petroleum and natural gas is the satat satat scheme which is uh, to establish uh, more than 5000 uh, bio cng units in india which will produce uh, roughly uh, 15 million tons of uh, clean energy and this is slated this was launched in 2018 and is slated to be completed by 2024 uh, we have seen a lot of development happening in this sector uh, clean energy is one of the focus areas of the government to reduce the dependency on uh, fossil imports and uh, under the stated scheme a huge uh, uh, like Asia's largest uh, bio CNG plant has been established in India. Uh, oil and manufacturing company, oil and gas manufacturing companies have come forward and are granting uh, funds to private entrepreneurs to get into this business. They are uh, also uh, giving them offtake uh, guarantees. So uh, a lot of initiatives from the government are being taken in the clean uh, fuel energy sector. Um, also uh, in the water supply sector uh, like a lot of push is being given to only uh, use uh, solar energy for pumping and also reduce the dependency on pumping because majority of our water supply systems have extensive uh, power consumptions and all of that is driven through fossil fuel uh, so uh, a lot of push has been given to uh, these criteria um, so i i hope that uh, these continues and the government keeps pushing for uh, methanol and there is a lot of acceptance uh, uh, within the public as well on this so uh, uh, looking forward to that uh, so these are certain initiatives that are being driven by the government in the clean energy uh, uh, sectors thank you uh, thank you, Govinda. You paint rather a very optimistic uh, image, if I may, on how we are powering through to clean energy transitions in the country. Uh, now that brings me back to Dr. Dhanshri. Um, we are living in a highly interconnected and interdependent world where discussions on sustainability, climate change, and renewable energy resources impinge on global geopolitics. Now, some of the challenges in this regard rise from our immediate and extended neighborhood with China, trying to expand influence in the regions with rare earth metal reserves and so on for pumping its economy. Therefore, how do we see the future of, uh, future of questions on uh, sustainability and resource management being addressed in a fora like uh, the G20? And what strategies could India potentially undertake to supersede such uh, possible roadblocks? Yeah, uh, so geopolitics is something, geopolitics and geoeconomics are intrinsic to the climate and uh, energy transitions and food trans, uh, food systems transformations. And all these discussions are, I think, uh, cannot be uh, discussed uh, without really talking about the geopolitical dynamics that exist today. And uh, I mean, maybe I, I, you know, I'll just start by talking about what's going on also with the Russia-Ukraine crisis, and uh, you know, uh, with recent announcement by Putin that uh, that no more gas supplies to Europe until the sanctions are lifted, and how does that affect, for instance, the energy markets within Europe, which also has repercussions on the rest of the world. So it's not something that is just. Uh, uh, restricted to Europe alone. Uh, so, uh, uh, of course, uh, countries, including Germany, for instance, are burning more coal 
Poland is burning more coal to meet the energy requirements. There is no other way because, of course, we have renewable energy systems and all of that, but it's not enough to meet the energy requirements, especially if the gas supplies are limited. Uh, so this is where uh, energy in that sense becomes like uh, 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 it's not just a commodity, but it's a strategic uh, a strategic asset for countries like Russia. In the same way for China, for instance, uh, rare earths, the entire monopoly that it has built uh, when it comes to rare earths uh, extraction and processing. Uh, maybe in extraction, China's monopoly has reduced to some extent in the past decade or so, but still when it comes to processing of many uh, minerals and rare earths, uh, which is uh, required for the energy transitions itself, China still continues to have a huge monopoly. And this is where I think there is a lot of discussion happening, not just in India, but in fact, in India also, there is a move uh, now, the government says that we are going to open up a rare earths extraction to the private players as well, because uh, there is, of course, the sphere that China can use the rare earths and the whole monopoly that it has when it comes to minerals processing and everything. It can use uh, this to its own advantage and weaponize it when it wants to. Something that it did in the past uh, with Japan over the dispute in the East China Sea. So similar thing can happen with India and other countries as well. I mean, we saw on the Taiwan issue itself how, uh, how China decided to suspend talks with the US. So this is something that all the countries realize is going to be a major problem that we cannot depend on China for the rare earths and for other minerals that are required very much uh, for the energy transitions itself, we are also seeing, uh, you know, semiconductor uh, uh, chip shortage as well. So in, in this situation, it's very important that like-minded countries obviously come together to find solutions and without facing those ro roadblocks, which can affect energy transitions processes uh, across the world. And this is just one among several geopolitical problems that we're seeing today. As I mentioned, the Russia-Ukraine crisis is one. You also have the issue over Taiwan. Of course, it's not as big an issue as of now. But then, of course, this is something that, in, that India and other countries have to keep in mind. Uh, and uh, as well as the geopolitical tussle, which exists uh, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, you know, in terms of not just in terms of the great power politics, but also think about how extraction is carried out in several conflict areas for the same minerals that is powering your energy transition, because many of these countries are also affected by conflicts and the mining processes are not sometimes uh, meeting the sustainability standards, which is something Chinese companies have been accused of. Many Western companies have been accused of the same, where uh, indigenous communities' rights, women's rights, and other such rights have been violated, uh, which is in the name of climate action. Uh, in the same way, within India, for instance, when you have renewable energy uh, projects being built in many parts of the country, how is the land being acquired? Is it grabbing land? Uh, is it being done in a way that actually puts the marginalized communities, including farmers and others, at a much bigger disadvantage? So these issues also have to be addressed before they actually come up uh, and, you know, kind of uh, mushroom into a much bigger crisis later on. And this is where uh, I feel that the geopolitical, uh, you know, great power politics, as well as what's going on locally within these countries have to be 
also addressed in order to come up with sustainable solutions in a, in the real sense of the word sustainability itself it cannot be that uh, yeah we are going to power through this uh, energy transitions without caring for human rights or without caring for various other rights uh, uh, that uh, that many people are entitled to and this is where finance climate finance and other types of finance uh, financing mechanisms and others also have to take care of these ground realities uh, in, in many parts of the world. And I think uh, we are already seeing signs of uh, these issues being integrated into policy areas, but, uh, but still there is a huge gap uh, when it comes to addressing these concerns uh, uh, through global and, uh, uh, global and local policies. Thank you, Dhanshri, for that uh, well-rounded explanation of uh, various geopolitical implications on sustainability issues. Um, now, we have come to the last question, and uh, I will be addressing that to Mr. Govinda. Now, moving forward, uh, at the national and subnational levels, what are, the, uh, what are some of the policy changes that India can focus on and ideate in order to effect a behavioral change and engender the idea of sustainability collectively as well as individually? Yeah, thank you, Shadid, for the question. Uh, it's very important uh, that we have uh, a sustainable uh, model of governance. And uh, at the national, some of the policy changes that have been missing and a lot of uh, experts have been advocating about are related to three aspects. First is enforcement. Second is uh, operations and maintenance. And third is decentralization. Now, majority of these schemes or the government uh, flagship missions are being run centrally. And the last mile effect of these schemes are very minimal. There is no community ownership. There is no uh, people uh, participation. Uh, very few uh, schemes have taken citizen feedback and impact assessments to actually note what kind of impact has been created. So the last mile effect of all these schemes have been like very poor. And behavior change is something that happens across. It takes a lot of efforts to instigate behavior change and to bring it to its final effect. So uh, what, if, what I feel is that operations and maintenance is something that should be, firstly, there should be decentralization mm -hmm. of power. I mean, the gram panchayats, the municipal corporations, people should be given the power to actually uh, design, plan, and implement, and operate further all the related infrastructure sustainably because they are the end users so decentralization is very important and uh, on top of that there should be mechanisms in, uh, instituted which uh, enable this uh, uh, people ownership that they own the asset itself so whether it be a park whether it be a treatment plant whether it be a lake anything it has to be owned by the people. Unless there is public participation, it becomes a failure. On top of that, government should also uh, put forward a robust mechanism of operations and maintenance. Operations and maintenance are very important. We have been following a capital creation model for several years now. There have been several capital assets which have been created, infrastructure in place, but they have not been maintained properly. You look at sanitation sector, water, water sector, power sector, any sector, if there is no proper maintenance, it will not sustain and it will be uh, it will be uh, trashed out after its life or before its uh, end life. 
and then a new uh, asset will be created which will not be maintained again and the cycle goes on so operations and maintenance through community participation through community ownership is very important and thirdly uh, enforcement now uh, everybody is not same people also tend to make mistakes they tend to make uh, uh, misuse the assets or misuse the facilities which are given to them so behavior change combined with enforcement strict enforcement around uh, uh, the usability around uh, the maintenance around uh, uh, the rules of uh, engaging so uh, they should be strictly enforced and people should know that uh, this is something which is serious and uh, lot of public campaigns lot of citizen engagement programs have to be done so that there is uh, there is a lot of uh, education or uh, there is a lot of uh, sensitization around these subjects uh, is what pe- uh, policy changes have to be brought in uh we have seen that government is focusing on this aspect there have been behavioral change programs there have been but they have not brought about that much of an impact as they envisage because uh, one is that the fund which is kept for these uh, exercises is not enough people don't pay much attention and when they don't see the effect being uh, drawn or being catered to through uh, actual implementation is what doesn't motivate them so we need to have more motivational sessions we need to uh, have these uh, mechanisms in place for the people to trust the system and then own these assets or own these facilities and then use them uh, sustainably so yeah i mean uh, these are certain policy changes or certain uh, certain guidelines or certain uh, areas where government can focus on to improve the system in this way thank you absolutely i mean uh, public participation is very important uh, for the maintenance or uh, rather sustaining the um, sustainability goals and uh, ideas that india has put forth thank you danishree and govinda for sharing your thoughts on how we could power through to a sustainable future for india and the world as a whole i am hopeful that india taking up the presidency of g20 in 2023 will set a refreshing tone for the needs and grievances of the emerging economies with that we have come to the end of this episode you can follow and engage with us on our social media handles where we look forward to taking this conversation forward with you all we will be back with another thought provoking and interesting topic for discussion in the next episode stay tuned to www.cppr.in